The following, the following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. You know, some people talk about emuna. Some people live emuna. You know what it means to live emuna? In Tavshinayin Gimel, 10 years ago, the Magid of Nebak passed away. I heard the following from his son. Rebuven Karelnstein lost kidney function 40 years before he died. That means he was 35 years old. A young Avrich. Seven children in Bnei Bak can't use his kidneys. He went to New York hoping to get a kidney transplant. Didn't know a word of English. Sat here in New York for two years. A young Avrech, no wife, seven children. Doesn't know a word of English and nothing. One day after two years, his friend from Israel, Baruch Halberstam, who is the grandson of the Divrei Yatsif, calls him and he says, You know, Buven, I heard that there's a hospital in San Fran. The West Coast, San Francisco, there's a hospital that specializes in that. I think you should go there. There's much more of a chance you're going to get a kidney over there. He says, you're kidding me. How am I going to go to San Francisco? You can barely get along here in New York. I don't know a word of English. I don't think I can do it. Rebao says to him, don't worry. I'll come and I'll take you there. And that's what he did. He flew to New York and he boarded the plane. They get to San Francisco 3.30 a.m. They both, both call their wives to say, we made it. Everything is okay. And then they go to a hotel. 7.30 a.m. 7.30 a.m. Who is knocking on the Hotel room. They open the door. Police officer. Police officer! What do you want? Are you Halberstam? Are you Karelstein? He says, yeah. Waiting for you downstairs. At the reception. Who's waiting for us? You have a phone call. Who knows that we're here? They go downstairs. And they tell Halberstam he has a phone call from his wife. So Ruben looks at his friend while he's talking to his wife. And he saw that the conversation was heated. It wasn't a very comfortable and nice conversation. But he was embarrassed to ask him what. What's going on with your wife? They went to Davin, they ate breakfast, and Rebuven Karelnishten felt it was an opportune time. So he says to Rebauch, tell me, I noticed before, when you spoke to your wife, is everything okay? Maybe there's something I can do. So Rebauch says, I wasn't planning to tell you, but if you already asked. Remember when we landed, 3.30 a.m., and we called our wives? He says, sure. He says, my wife asked me, where are we going to stay? I said to her, I don't know yet. She says, I need a phone number. She says, what do you need a phone number? My dear wife, in a few hours, I'll get up in the morning and I'll call you and I'll give you the phone number where I'm staying. She says, no. What if they call your friend from New York and they say, we found him a kidney? What am I going to do then? The law back then was in New York. That from the time they call, you have three hours to respond. If you don't, they go to the next one on the list. There's a big waiting list. And once you respond, you have eight to nine hours to come to the hospital because they can only keep it. For that amount of time? So what if they call now from New York? He says, to, he says to her, my dear wife, it's been two years that he's here in New York and nobody called. So now in the next four hours, somebody's going to call. I don't know. I can't. I don't have the phone number. I can't give it the number. I'll give it to you in the morning. So Rebao says to Rebuven, you know what happened? Ten minutes after we spoke to our wives at 3.40 a.m., they called from New York. And they said, they have a kidney for you. So my wife started calling all the hotels in San Francisco looking for two Jewish people, Karelenstein and Halberstein. And she called, and she called, and she called, and she called. And at 6.40 a.m., exactly three hours after they made the call, they called her again to say, we're so sorry. 
but your friend never called. We have to give it to the next one on the list. So my wife kept on calling until she finally reached us, and that's why she was yelling at me at the, the phone conversation, and that, that's what happened. I'm so, so sorry. And he had no idea how Rebuven is going to react. You imagine, after two years waiting, and this was his chance. Rebuven Karelinstein heard this. He got up, and he started dancing. And Rebbeuch, his friend, looks at him and says, Oy vey, I guess he lost it. I guess he lost it. It's two years, he's by himself here, no wife, no seven children, doesn't know a word of English. And now this, I guess this was the straw, the straw that broke the camel's back, he lost it. And the woman is dancing and dancing, insisting, what are you sitting? Come and join me! So, Mr. Mishiga, what can he do? He stood up and he started dancing with him. He says, don't you understand, don't you realize? He says, realize what? He says, the Kodesh Baruch who loves me so much! Hashem showed me how much he loved me! Obviously! These kidneys were contaminated. They would kill me. So Kodesh Baruch Hu sent me six hours to the West Coast to make sure that they don't implant these kidneys in me. Kodesh Baruch Hu loves me so much. Why? I got to call my wife. And he says, oh, he's me. <laughs> and now I'm in trouble. Rebuven runs down to the reception and he calls his wife. And he says, to Rebetzin, we get a mazel tov. She says, really? What happened? He says, Baruch Hashem, they found a kidney for me in New York, but I'm in... San Francisco, he says, Oy vey. She says, he says to her, no, it's great. We have to throw a kiddush and shul on Shabbos. She says, why? He says, because the Kodesh Baruch Hu showed me how much he loves me. Obviously, these kidneys were not for me. Kodesh Baruch Hu loves me so much. Promise me you'll throw a kiddush and shul. Three days after this, the two goyim that got the two kidneys died. Rebuven was right. But at that time, Rebuven wasn't one of Gedoyle Yisrael. He was a 35 year old young Avrech from Bnei Brak, and without hesitation as soon as he heard the story from his friend he stood up and started dancing Rebbeu Halberstam says 40 years later I still see in my eyes how he jumped and started dancing because some people talk about Emuna and some people live Emuna and when you have such deep Emuna you see HaKadosh Baruch in every junction you see him on every corner of the street. You live with the Kodesh Baruch You are happy. Six and a half years ago, there was a mice in Petach Tikva. A father gets a call. I think it was a Thursday before Pasha Slech Lecha. And they tell him you should rush to the Balinson Hospital in Petach Tikva. Your son was in a terrible car accident. as He's not in good shape. So the father goes there. And in fact, his son is really, really not doing good. And the doctors tell him, you know, there's only one doctor now to soil that can operate on his head, but he doesn't work in our hospital. We're trying to get a hold of him, but we can't. Maybe you have connections. Make some calls. Try to get a hold of him. And this guy, in fact, has some connections, and he makes some calls, and he got the private cell phone of the doctor. And he calls him, and the doctor says, yeah. She says, listen, this is what happened to my son. The doctors are saying, only you can perform this surgery. And... They don't know how long he can make it. Can you please come to operate? And the doctor says, yes. As soon as I'm done, what I'm doing, I'll be over there. Thank you so much, doctor. Thank you. Half an hour later, doctor is still not there. An hour later, doctor is not there. An hour and a half later, doctor is still not there. He picks up the phone again and he calls him. Doctor, can you make it? They don't know how much time he has. He's between life and death. The doctor says, yes. As soon as I'm done, I'll be over there. Thank you, thank you, doctor. Please, please, as fast as you can. Two hours later, doctor is not there. Two and a half hours later, three hours later, 
Three and a half hours later, four hours later, and the doctor's still not there. He picks up the phone again. Doctor, can you make it, please? The doctors are saying, it's mamish, it's imminent. Doctor says, yes, as soon as I'm done, I'm going to be there. Thank you, doctor, but please, please rush over. Four and a half hours. Five hours. Five and a half hours. After six hours, finally, the doctor drives to the entrance of the hospital. He parks his car. He walks right in. Doesn't say hello. Not to the nurses, not to the staff, not to the doctors. He walks right into the operating room, performs the surgery. And normally, when you finish a surgery, you go out if, as, a, as a doctor. You go to the family to tell them what happened. This doctor goes out, doesn't say goodbye. Not to the doctors, not to the staff, not to the nurses. Just walks out towards his car. And he passed by the father, and he doesn't stop by him. And the father at this point was fuming. So when he passed by him and he didn't stop, the father looks at him and he starts yelling. Doctor, if this was your son, you would also delay six hours? The doctor didn't even look back and continued walking out, went into his car and drove away. The father was so angry, but only for a few hours, because a few hours later he heard that this doctor's son was also in a car accident that morning somewhere else. And he didn't make it, he died. The first two calls he made to the doctor was when the doctor was preparing his son's levaya. The third call was during the levaya of his only son. And instead of going home to Sichiva for his only son, he came to perform a surgery on your own son. Now we understand why he didn't say hello to everyone, because he was an oven, he's a mourner, he can't say hello to people. This goes with what I said before. When you judge people, you tend to get angry. It's very hard to judge favorably, so it's better not to judge. Don't judge! Only if you are forced to, then judge favorably. You will live a very happy life. Years ago, one of Gedoli Yisrael was called, he had a nickname, the Sandlar, the shoemaker. Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Rubikov. He was probably the greatest Mekubar in his generation. This is the time of the Chazonish. And the Chazonish used to travel to Yafo to see him. We understand when the Chazonish goes to visit someone, that person is great. He was a giant in Nigle, in the revealed part of Toya. And he was a giant in the concealed part of Toya. He wrote Sfarim. They called him the Sandlar, the shoemaker. So one day, Shimon was marrying off his son. Reuven, his best friend, comes to the wedding. And Reuven sits at his table, and suddenly he sees the Sandlar, he sees Yaakov Moshe Rubikov walking in. It's like, wow, imagine you're sitting at your friend's wedding, and Abraham Konevsky walks in. He says, wow, it's unbelievable, maybe I can get a bracha from him. And while he's thinking that, suddenly, this giant of giants comes and sits right next to him. Bingo, won the lottery. So he looks at him and says, Rebbe, Maybe you can give a word of chizuk. You know, sometimes we go through different challenges in life, difficulties. Give me something that I'll be able to carry with me for the rest of my life. Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Rubikov, who was known to be such a humble person, looks at him and he says to him, You want a chizuk from me? You want a chizuk from me, eh? You know, back where I come from, in the village in Russia, there was a guy who would pay 10,000 rubles just to see me. And you want a chizuk from me? <laughs> I can't believe it. This is the person they say is so humble. They can't believe it. I can't believe how he speaks. Who would do this? And while he's thinking that, he repeats himself. And he says, so you want chizuk for me, huh? I'm telling you, where I come from. There's a guy who would pay 10,000 rubles just to see me. And you want chizuk for me. <laughs> he says, wow, 
Wait till I wait. Wait till I tell all my friends. I just can't believe this. And while he's saying this, he repeats himself and he says, I'm telling you where I come from, back in Russia. There was a guy who was blind. He would be willing to give even 10,000 rubles just to see even a person like me. So you want chizuk for me? What do you need chizuk for me? You are a walking chizuk machine. You got up this morning, your eyes were okay. Digestive system was functioning. Your shoulders, your knee were bending. You are a walking chizuk machine. What do you need chizuk for me? Who am I to give chizuk? It's a pasuk in Eov. From my own flesh. Look at your body and you can see HaKadosh Baruch So why do you need chizuk for me? And when you constantly count your blessings and look at all the positive that HaKadosh Baruch Hu showers us with, you're going to be very happy. It's an ongoing chizuk machine that we have. It's called the human body. It's called the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Since it's summertime, I think it's a mitzvah to tell this maise. I heard it in the winter. I think it's a summer maise. Rabbi El Lapian was standing at a bus stop with his Talmud waiting for a bus. A bunch of people there. A lady comes over and she says to Slicha, Slicha, Masha. Excuse me, what time is it? Rabbi El looks at his watch. It's 2.15. Well, thank you very much. And she steps away. Exactly two minutes later, she comes back. Slicha, Slicha, Masha. Excuse me, what time is it? 2.17. Thank you very much. She steps away. Two minutes later, she comes back. Slicha, slicha, masha. Excuse me, what time is it? Rebella looks at his watch. It's 2.19. Oh, thank you very much. She steps away. The Talmud is getting upset. Rebbe, every time she comes back, you're going to have to answer her? There's no sheer to this. There's no end. Every single time, every two minutes? Rebella Lapian looked at his Talmud and he told him, And who told you it's the same woman? Who told you it's the same woman? I think it was Kedai. If I only came to America, just tell this message. It's already Kedai. Who told you it's the same woman? His grandson, Reb Gershon Lapian, is a big poisek in London. He recently passed away. He was once walking with his wife in the streets of London. And suddenly he crossed the street. He went over to a married lady. And he says to her, Wow, your shaita looks gorgeous. Look like a million dollars with that. So, Amazing shaitos. Beautiful. Mom is beautiful. And everybody who heard it, and people who heard it, were in shock. What a breach of sneeze. There was a chashuva rav there. And he took the to the side and says, what are you doing? What an embarrassment. How do you approach a married lady in the middle of the street and compliment her on a shaitos? What are you doing? What happened to you? By the way, your wife is here. Rebgeshen says to him, do you know, it's been 20 years that I've been working and this lady to start covering her hair. And last week she finally did. This is the first time I'm seeing her since. I had to go over and to compliment her on her shaitan. Who asked you to judge? You're already judging. Judge favorably. But don't judge. When you judge people, you're going to get upset. You're going to have enemies. You're going to be bitter. Why do you need it? You know the Shabak, the Israeli secret service comparable here to... The CIA, there was a guy, when I call him Moven, who was hired by the Shabak. He started working, and he moved up the ranks. And the major focus of the training was that if you fall into enemy hands, no matter what, you don't give over any secrets. Obviously, job number one. And one day, Bali, exactly what he feared, came. Three Arabs captured him. They knew exactly his position. 
They put him in a dungeon and they tortured him for three days and three nights. Give over the information that you have. And Reuven refused. He was trained to refuse. And they told him, look, we know you're married. We know you have four young children at home. If you talk, you walk. Reuven didn't open his mouth. Three terrible days. After three days, they come to him. And they say, listen, tomorrow 12 noon is the deadline. If you speak, you walk. You go home. If you don't, one bullet right here. And your wife and children will never see you. They left him. And Uven tries to go to sleep and he can't. And he says to himself, why do I need this? Why do I need this? Do I really want my wife to be a young widow? My four children to be young orphans? I gave enough. I suffered enough already. And he decided that tomorrow morning, he will reveal the secrets. Not all of them. Just enough to be able to be Yitzhak. And then hopefully, in fact, they will release him. Following day, 11 o'clock, they come. No, Uven, what did you decide? You have one hour. And he says, I still think about it. Uven, you have one hour. And they left. And he says, you know, sometimes decrees are canceled. I'll wait till the last second. And then he sits in his cell. And he suddenly hears some voices. He puts his ear to the wall, and he hears his captors, and they're speaking in Hebrew. That doesn't make any sense. Wait a second! That means they also work for the same service that I do. It's just a test. They want to see how loyal, dedicated, and committed I am to the service. You know what? So I'm not going to open my mouth. mouth. I'm not going to say anything. And he decided no matter what, he doesn't open his mouth. 11.59, they come into the room. The Arab puts a gun to his head, and he starts counting the seconds. Uven, you have one minute to go. Maybe the last minute of your life. 11.45, 11.59, 45 seconds, 46 seconds, 47 seconds, and 10 second countdown. 51, 52, and he says to him, 7, 6, 5, 4. And Uven is shaking, but he decided he's not going to open his mouth. 3, Two, one, and exactly 12 o'clock, he puts down his gun, he extends his arm, he shakes his hand, he says, Mazel Tov, you just moved up a rank. And Uven says, the only reason I was able to withstand the test is because I realized it was a test. say that's our life. All the challenges, all the difficulties that you have, they're testing us to see how loyal, how dedicated, how committed we are to the service. If an obstacle is like a hump on the road, so once you pass it, you actually find yourself a little closer to the Rebbein HaShiloylam. It's all a test. Coming from a compassionate, loving father. So if he is the ultimate trainer, who wants to make you an improved person, are you not going to be happy? You're in the best of hands. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to Inspire.org.